What's up, yo? This is Habscast. I'm Hab. This is my cast. Appreciate you listening. Wherever you get your on-demand audio, Spotify, Apple Music, wherever. Wherever you're listening, at home, at work, on the toilet, in the car. I mean, hey, it is what it is. We appreciate you listening. We're just trying to create some audio magic, timeless audio. This is DEA free audio. Don't forget, disclaimer, excuse, and apology-free audio right here on Habscast. We appreciate you. So here's where we pivot, a huge pivot. This is a big pivot because I get to talk about wrestling. (laughs) I'm giggling because, you know, Oh my God! You still watch wrestling? I can't believe it. Yeah, I do, and I and I love it. And most of the times when I tell people that, the first thing people tend to do is mention, you know, my favorites, like or their favorites. So oh, I used to love Hulk Hogan back in the day, or I love Stone Cold, or or, or the Macho Man, you know. And th- that's cool because those were all really great characters, and I loved them too. But I want to kind of talk about pro wrestling from a different perspective. And I want to start with um, the funniest, what I think is the funniest thing. In coming up with this particular episode, I did some research. I watched some old tapes, and I saw some things that reminded me, obviously, of childhood. And, you know, we're talking mid to late 80s. You know, so... Outside of my scope of like wrestling, outside the scope of wrestling for me, I really didn't have a whole lot of frame of reference for things outside of the wrestling world. Now, I don't know if you know that, but you know, things on outside the wrestling world can be recreated inside wrestling, and that's what had happened in the mid 80s. And so, um, uh, I yeah, this I'm sorry. Mm. So like there are four things that uh, I didn't know existed and were real outside of wrestling until like the maybe early 90s, okay? And I'm sorry for laughing, but you all are going to laugh. You you have to. All right. Uh, number 1, I did not know that Billy Graham was a world famous televangelist until much until much later in life, um, because to me um, Billy Graham was the superstar. <laughs> All my wrestling heads know who superstar Billy Graham is. You know, he used to rock the baldy with the uh, bleach uh, mustache handlebar, and he had big muscles, and used to wear gold, and you know his. Uh, his theme music was uh, bad to the bone. That's like he used to come to the ring in that. Like so, like imagine my diminutive self, like like seeing that all the time. And like so, that's what I know as superstar Billy Graham. And I take it one step farther. It was so entrenched that like uh, bad to the bone, you know, bad. <laughs> you know, like it was so entrenched to me that that was his theme music. So when I heard it somewhere else, it 
through me. Like, so uh, that's number one. Number two, uh, Sam Houston. If I say Sam Houston, you know, most people will understand or recognize or remember or recall that, you know, it's the guy who pretty much founded Houston, Texas. I didn't know that until a little bit later in life, again, because to me, I was a huge uh, uh, NWA wrestling fan, and Sam Houston was the Western States Heritage Champion, and he was a good guy. He was one of the good guys, and he wore cowboy boots and a bandana, and his signature move was the bulldog. So, boom. <laughs> Sam Houston didn't know. Uh, and I... Do you want better? Even uh, National Wrestling Alliance, the NWA? Hmm. No disrespect to Dr. Dre and Ice Cube and all of them, but I didn't there. I didn't know niggas with attitudes existed. I was all about the National Wrestling Alliance. And the last one, uh, <laughs> uh, okay, and I'm a sports fan. I am a sports fan, but, like, I really didn't come into my own as a sports fan and like discovery and knowing until maybe like the early the late 90s so here we are all of this frame of reference from wrestling is early mid 80s and um i did not know that the kansas jayhawks were a real school with a real mascot and real teams <laughs> um because i watched wrestling and the Kansas Jayhawks were Dutch Mantell and Bobby Jagger. <laughs> they were cowboys. Uh, so I just wanted to leave with that so I could get through the rest of this episode. <laughs> but in all seriousness, though, that should probably like inform me or like let you know how deep this thing with wrestling goes. And um, after this little musical break, I'm going to give you a little history, not a wrestling history, but like my history on my wrestling fandom. This is Hepscast. Thanks for listening. Fantastic, outstanding, splendid, brilliant, astounding, astonishing, amazing, sensational, phenomenal. 99.9% perfect. Yeah, I know. Yeah, thank you all for listening. Just going off about a little wrestling here and giving a little history, a little background, a little backstory. Man, my stories are great, but my backstories, you know, they just, just tie it all together for you. But for me, wrestling in the 80s uh, or actually for my family that was family time because it came on on Saturdays at 6 p.m. and sometimes it came on on Saturday mornings but 6 p.m. Saturday like was our time to watch wrestling you know it was we were there we were vested in these characters that we loved invested in the characters that we hated because we didn't like them but we wanted to see the good guys beat up the bad guys and it was very you know like I would say linear in that way 
you know, because it, everything was always clearly defined. You knew who the bad guy was. You knew who the good guy was. And so uh, taking wrestling in at an early age like that, like that was the only concept of how I knew it was, you know, displayed. Uh, loved all the characters from like the NWA. You talking Rick? Give Rick Flair's, woo! Dusty uh, Rhodes. I'm a huge Dusty Rhodes fan. Uh, Magnum TA. Uh, before the accident, he was great. Like Barry Windham. I can go on and on, but that's not the episode to go on and on. But you know, that's that was our thing. And if they came to the Greensboro Coliseum. You best believe we were there. We we caught we caught a lot of uh, NWA matches there. Again, that was like family time. Um, but as with so many things, like time goes on and things change, and you know, all of a sudden, wrestling really wasn't our family time anymore. I still loved it, still watched it when I could. As a matter of fact, I, I, I used to get uh, in our local paper the TV guide insert that came on Saturdays always had a insert every week about wrestling, which I thought was cool because it was like maybe one of the first like behind-the-scenes things that I could actually read in a newspaper. And it was written by Ronald Jordan, it was called Ringside, <laughs> and I used to read that, you know, so I kept up my fandom, but somewhere along the line, you know, and here is where things begin to shift in terms of, like, watching it and seeing what, watching what I'm seeing and believing, and, you know, buying in. My parents had to pull me off for wrestling for a little bit because, um, you know, Nikita Koloff, Russian by Nikita Koloff. Nikita Koloff, the Russian bear, uh, they carried a chain to the ring. They were the bad guys. You know, anybody who carries a chain to the wrestling match is the bad guy, right? Right. And they would <laughs> hang people with it. You know, hey, throw them over the rope, wrap it around their neck, and just, you know, choke them out. Well, I know, before you think you know where this story's going, I didn't choke anybody out, okay? But I did take the chain to school. And who knew in the third grade you wasn't supposed to bring chains to school? I didn't know. But they called my parents, and um, I'm pretty sure I got in trouble because that was bad business. but somewhere along the line, and this is what's funny about that story, somewhere along the line, I recall my parents or somebody retelling that story for me and, and them saying that I had the chain at school waving it around my head. And I was like, uh-uh, Halbert I, wouldn't. I definitely didn't do that. But anyway, but see, here we are. So, like, wrestling, that's that was that was my jam. But my parents had to pull me off of it. And then shortly thereafter, I learned, learned or discovered that, you know, what I was seeing was <sighs> fake. 
oh God, you guys got to give me a minute. Because mm. I love it so much. It's, oh. Let me tell you something. <laughs> when the NWA came to the Greensboro Coliseum one time, um, Baby Doll, who was at the time Tully Blanchard's valet, she attacked Dusty Rhodes, and Dusty was the favorite. And they ripped his shirt off, and she clawed his back, and he had blood all coming on down his back. Um, y'all, I cried on the way home. <laughs> Ask my mama. I cried on the way home for what they had done to Dusty. Like, yo, for real, I cried. So, boom. It's not real. It's like, well, dog. Like, well, what is, what, what? It's not real? You mean they predetermine who's, how it's going to end before they start? Uh, but you know what? It, it kind of dampened things a little bit for me. But, you know, the reason that I take or took to and still take to wrestling is not for the matches or the punches and kicks, you know, but wrestling fans will tell you they are vested, invested in characters, you know, so all of this time, and I'm not like really a big, big fan of wrestling. I, I can't really watch it and things are going on, but... You know, you'll see a Ric Flair on the commercial. Ric Flair doesn't go anywhere. You know, these are characters that I've always been invested in. And so, boom, it's not real. How do I get over that? Quickly, I'll tell you so what right after this is break. This is half of No, I'm never holding no one above you, my love. Baby, you're the only one. Promise you we just begun. If I were a beat, then you'd be my drum. Baby, can you ride with me? Tell me that you fly with me. I've been searching for you all day. Tell me that you always stay and tell me that you'll never go. Promise me you'll never leave because you're my you're my remedy. Baby, can you ride with me? Tell me that you ride with me. Yep. We're back. This is the wrestling episode of Habscast. Um, I, I don't know. This is probably going to be one of the more animated uh, episodes. I'm getting loose now. I'm feeling good, and especially talking about something that I'm passionate about and that I'm, you know, I'm pretty much into. I guess is just open the box, you know. So. Uh, before the little break, I was saying, how would I be able to cope or be able to enjoy, you know, wrestling knowing that it's, I'm using air quotes when I say fake, okay? I'm using air quotes. Um, but how would I be able to enjoy it? And that was, not I don't want to say easy, but it was developed over time because what I started to do was, you know, had to deconstruct my view of how it had originally been presented 
if that makes sense. So whereas back in the 80s, these were all good guys and bad guys. You know, most of the bad guys were cowboys and the good guys were just, you know, regular guys. So it was presented like that. So that presentation or looking at it that way changed. And I think I want to say that, you know, the WWF had a lot to do with it because, you know, the way they presented their product was, uh, I would say, entertainment-based. And so anything that has to do with entertainment, we understand, is produced. And so that was what I did not know in the 80s when I was so heavily invested in these characters. You know, my guy has just been jumped by the four horsemen and, like, that I am hurting for him, that's my guy, that is the American dream, you know, at seven years old, like, that's how I feel, so, but fast forward to understanding how it's produced and what goes into it, oh, it's a good piece of acting, it's a production, right, so, you know, and people would ask me, well, how do you get into it, and when you know it's fake, air quotes, fake, uh, well, you know, and this is, I, I don't want to, it's a, sometimes it always turned into a, a, a back and forth or a pop shots back and forth or, you know, when I say, well, everything on television is fake with no air, with no air quotes here. Everything on television is, you know, fake. If it's a production, it is produced. And to produce things, you need people, you need places, you need drama, you need script, you need actors, you need lights, you need cameras. You know, and so how do, what do you have when you have all those things? You have a show. You have a show, a wrestling show, I mean, for me. And another thing that I learned, and it helped me to deepen, even deepen my appreciation of it even more, you know, is just because I got a little insight into, uh, not so much insight that it killed, killed, you know, my passion, but a little insight into the psychology, if you will, of how wrestling is portrayed. And Marianne, if you're listening, this one is definitely for you. Uh, everything that those superstars do is done for a reason. And when I shout out, I'm sorry, I shouted out Marianne because when we have these talks, I explain to her that everything in life I can look at through a wrestling lens and apply something wrestling to it. So, boom, everything that that superstar does is supposed to elicit a response. You know, they're telling a story. They're the antagonist. They're the protagonist. They got beef with somebody. Somebody took their title. Somebody took their girl. Uh, yeah. So, but, like, take The Rock, for example, which is, you know, I was watching wrestling long before, you know, The Rock came along, but at his height, he and, like, Stone Cold, you know, the guys like that, they really popularized it for pop culture in, like, the turn of the 2000s, and so, you know, he's always a really good frame of reference, but during his wrestling days with WWE, uh, he did the most ridiculous, ridiculous thing ever in the world and it drove the people nuts you know and they called it the people's eyebrow and I called it ridiculous but I totally do <laughs> I 
have done it, probably will do it always. Because I like The Rock, man. He's he was he's super cool. Uh, but everything that the wrestler does is supposed to is elicit a response. You know, from how they look. Take the Macho Man, the outlandish outfits. Look at Ric Flair, the robes, the style, and the profiling. All of that is to elicit a response from the paying customer. The movements, uh, like how you, I would say, how, uh, what's my guy's name? Adrian Adonis, like his movements, his effeminate movements. He was supposed to elicit a response from his opponent and their crowd. You know, the way they walk, again, the way they dress, the props that they use, the valet, and valet is a manager, who, you know, the entourage, the promo, everything that the wrestler does within the context of a presentation is supposed to elicit a response from the fan in attendance and the fan watching at home. So how, and this is like one of my favorite parts of telling this you know, particular episode is tying that together, I was able to craft, if you will, my kind of own philosophy, you know? So when I say like everything is wrestling and I made like kind of treat it that way in terms of the response, because everything does not deserve a response. So bearing that in mind, the wrestler's job is to go out of his way to elicit a response or to entertain or to get you to boo him or to cheer him or, you know, something in between or whatever you do between booing and cheering. I don't know. That might be a thing. But, and I'll tell you this, and they might tell you this, a no response will drive a performer crazy. Like a wrestler, you got a wrestler who is trying to just, you know, he wants the crowd to boo him, but they people are paying not paying attention, you know. They really don't like that. And why I say everything is wrestling is because, I mean, we ain't in a, we not in a squared circle. You know, I'm not going to clothesline your ass. Just calm down. But like I said, the way I've applied that to my own kind of personal philosophy is that you're looking for a response and you're probably not going to get one from me or it ain't going to be the one that you want. You know, because a lot of times, and I do it, you, you're no different. I know you do it. We do we, we all do it. We question, why did they do that? Or why would they do that? Why did he, why, why, why? You know, and if you're like me, unanswered questions will bug you to death. And, and I don't, you know, really like them. But at the same time, there's some questions that you know you don't, you aren't going to get answers to, so you just got to, you know, bag Lady Badu, let that go. So, boom. You just chalk it up to somebody trying to get a response out of you. I mean, well, me anyway. I, I'm, you know, I'm just talking about me. But I'm talking about it and I'm sharing it because I think it's cool and I think it might actually help. You know, I'm not telling you to go dive through the WWE library and look at all the matches between HBK and, and, and Triple H. No, 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 not like that. 
But what I am telling you is that professional wrestling has so informed my life that I crafted, you know, like this little philosophy around the whole psychology and presentation of it. And I just wanted to share it with you. As always, I appreciate you, my wonderful listeners. Thanks for going on this journey with me. This has been Habscast. Thanks for listening. Done.